As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We've got Andy Mitten and Carl Anker with us today. But before we get into the football, today marks the 65th anniversary of the Munich air disaster when a plane carrying the United team back from a European game crashed, killing 23 people, including eight members of Samat Busby's famous Busby Babes team. You no doubt will have seen the tributes made before the match against Crystal Palace at the weekend. And there was also a service held at Old Trafford at the Munich Memorial on Monday afternoon as well. Always a sombre occasion, Andy, but uh, an occasion that's always marked in the right way by Manchester United, it seems. Yeah, the anniversary is a, a much bigger deal now than it was in the 1980s. I can remember standing on the forecourt at Old Trafford and there being 12 to 15 people there. And I'm pleased that the memory is kept alive. I like the way the club cover it. I saw the social media output involving players, fans, players of different ages, club staff. A lot of Manchester United fans make the journey to Munich each year. Bayern Munich are fantastic. The authorities in Munich are, are fantastic in helping uh, remember the disaster. And I think it's a, a major milestone in the history of, of Manchester United. And sometimes when you think about it, you think, gosh, did it did it really happen? These These young players who were on the cusp of absolute greatness, they were already great, of course. And and they died. And I thought it was done correctly on, on Saturday with Eric Ten Hag and, and Patrick Vieira. The Crystal Palace fans were, were fantastic as well. And long may it be memories and remembered. It's 65 years. I was in Munich for the 60th. There are two, two or 3,000 Manchester United fans there. I'll never forget it. And if you ever are ever in Munich, go to the Manchester Platz. It's, it's very moving. It is. And obviously the tributes at Old Trafford, you know, the the Munich Tunnel, um, the memorial as well, where the service will be held as well. It's right that there are these permanent marks of remembrance for the players and the staff and officials who died in the crash. It's been encouraging as well, Carl, to hear Eric Ten Hag talk about the legacy of the Busby Babes. That shows you how entrenched he is in the club as well. That's That's the right sign that we want from the manager yes yes he, he paid tribute he said uh United's second goal against Crystal Palace was 
was in keeping with that style of football. Um, and, and, and to echo what Andy said, the minute silence was was impeccably observed by both sets of fans at Old Trafford as well. It's an important part of Manchester United history, and I urge anyone listening to this to to read up on it. And um, yeah, never forgotten. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the match then. It was another victory for Manchester United. 13 in a row now at Old Trafford, Carl. The home form, absolutely incredible. But the one thing it will be remembered for is Casemiro trying to strangle someone. That was so bizarre, wasn't it? Truly. So to to peek behind the magician's curtain a little bit, uh, after Rashford's goal to make it 2-0, I am sort of like, oh, okay, well, now I know what I'm going to write about. I'm 400 to 600 words in, thinking, oh, I'm going to have a nice little early night. I might be able to go to bed before match of the day, sweet, whatever. And then a scrap breaks out. I'm like, oh, beef, beef, beef. Uh, and then you get the sort of, because there's no screen at Old Trafford, you get VAR check, red card. In that sort of like robotic voice as well. I don't yeah. know what the, the lady's name is, but yeah, she's very good at sounding like a robot. And the thing about Old Trafford is there's no screen. So if you are if you don't have the benefit of the screen in front of you in the press box, you can have absolutely no idea what they're checking for. By the way, I had a screen in front of me while watching the live VAR check taking place and I still didn't know what they were looking for because there no. was so much going on. The melee is, is is so odd. One, you've got no screen at Old Trafford. Two, the broadcast angle is reversed. So the incident happens on the far side of the field for away from the dugout. Uh, and on top of that, the VAR angle is different from the perspective fans in the Sir Alex Ferguson stand and fans in the Stratford end also see. So the VAR angle we see is from, now forgive me, I'm going to try and give precise timings, 62 minutes and 35 seconds. And there are frames there where Casemiro has two hands around the neck of Will Hughes. You've looked into this, haven't you, Carl? Oh, forensic. Uh, and then he, bra- he breaks the hold for a little bit and he wags his right. He, he wags one of his fingers at Will Hughes. So it's, it's a sort of... He's got both his hands around his neck, but he looks like he's trying to maintain distance from Will Hughes rather than trying to throttle the life out of him. And then he does a little finger wag as if a proper like, no, you can't hit me here. You're at arm's length. And Will Hughes goes off to do something else. I mean, the inciting incident is, you know, the the um, troublesome Old Trafford trenches, so to speak. Anton is never far away from aggro like that either, is he? He's a hothead. He really is. He's he's picked up more than one uh, caution and booking from referee because if you give him jib, he tends to respond with a little bit more. Um, and something I find quite interesting from Ten Hag is he just went, I quite like the fact that they went to fight for each other. He said, yeah, certain players definitely crossed the line, but it was good that we fight for each other. And you can you contrast that to the last season and a half where outside Lingard running over to help Marcus Rashford, no one really scrapped for each other. Do you know, actually, the biggest thing I took from the match against Palace Andy was unity. Was unity in that moment, like Cal's talking about, going to get stuck in and help your teammates, but unity of the crowd and the team fighting to the very last moment, kicking every single ball together to get over the line against Crystal Palace. And importantly, getting over the line as well together. It hasn't always been there, has it, in recent years? Not in the team. Not among the fans. The dressing room has been disunited a lot. So to see clear evidence of that unity is definitely a positive. And I think Eric Ten Hag was, was right to praise that, as he was to uh, criticise Casimiro for the way that... Look, if, if you, I don't think there was any malice, I agree with Carl. But if you're going to put your hands like that, the, the look, whichever angle you're looking at, 
doesn't look good. It's out of character for Casemiro as well, isn't it? It's out of character. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you've said that because the headline in, in Spain was, did Casemiro really get sent off? Because he was renowned <laughs> for not getting sent off yeah. because yeah, yeah. for such a combative player who's putting in hard tackles all the time, his disciplinary record was exceptional. So he will be missed because, in my opinion, he's the most important Manchester United player. However, if we're going to have any silver linings from this... He gets his rest. He does get his rest, which he doesn't, <laughs> which he doesn't need. And uh, he will be fit and fresh for the two games against Barcelona. And the cup final. I watched yeah. Barcelona. I was at the stadium on Sunday night. Sergio Busquets, who is equally important for them, limped off after four minutes. And the early indications are that he also might not be playing against Manchester United. So if United have got Casemiro and they've not got Busquets, that's a slightly different angle on things. It's unfortunate because Scott McTominay's been injured because Christian Eriksen, but then Manchester United's next games are against Leeds and Leeds and Leicester. United should have enough to overcome those sides. Shame for Scott McTominay because he's normally so influential against Leeds. Mm-hmm. I think the best I've ever seen him play was at Old Trafford against Leeds United a couple of years ago. Don't man mark Scott McTominay, whatever you do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was the takeaway from that 90 minutes, wasn't it? or the first four minutes, whatever it was. And even even stranger was that the game was at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> because it used to be the default time and now the default time is eight o'clock at night and them days can be pretty long. But two things you mentioned there. You know, if Old Trafford would was to be rebuilt now from scratch. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen. The trenches that you talked about by the side of the pitch, well, they wouldn't be built. There's no reason for them. They came out of a camber in the pitch, which was mainly knocked out a couple of years ago. The pitch used to rise significantly in the middle. It was like um, a cake in an oven. If you sat on one side, you couldn't see Ryan Giggs's legs on the other side of the pitch because <laughs> of this camber in the middle. And the second thing is the video boards. If a new stadium was built or a redeveloped stadium, you'd have these big boards. So mm-hmm. the match-going fans are actually penalised here because you're in limbo. What is going on? There's no explanation other than to say that there's a VAR check. You don't know what that VAR check is about. Old Trafford and Anfield are the only stadiums, or they were last season, I think that's that's right, this season, the only stadiums without big screens, which considering the prestige of those two yeah. grounds, it's amazing they haven't got them. I think Liverpool may work one in because they're rebuilding the Anfield Road end of the stand. So. Yeah, well, they've already done the main stand. Do you think they could have worked it in with that, considering that was done, you know, only two or three years ago? Yeah, and and yeah. they carry on like they're doing. It'll be a good place to watch a screen watching Championship football. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that, aren't they? But one one reason it was um, a good weekend was because of the other results. Absolutely, I love that flag that Liverpool fans have got. Imagine being us, and I saw someone commenting, Bandit Nana on Twitter, what, 10th? I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. You, you, can, you should laugh all day long, because I'm <laughs> laughing right now at it. But it wasn't just Liverpool, it was Manchester City, it was Arsenal. Yeah, Manche- Manchester United, the only team in the top four yeah. to win uh, to win a game on the weekend. That, it, it is, apart from the red card, a good weekend to be a Manchester United fan. Um Yes, I totally agree with your comment about the trench. I once, you know, in, in that terrible 7-1 defeat 
the United journalists had at Old Trafford. Like they tackle someone and sort of, you know, jockey them off in, down into the trench. And I'm, oh, wow, that's really steep. I'm always surprised there's not more injuries or just players just going in there full speed. Uh, so yeah, Jeff Schlupp's actions to Anthony in the trench were, were not great. Uh, I did find it very funny how Anthony shot back up immediately after arriving. He looked like he'd been shot and then Schlupp appeared to have said something to him and Anthony jumped up and, and sort of chest barged him. It was a really interesting attack. Just Anthony realising he can't leave, lead with his hands, so shoving him with his chest. It was sort of a within-the-rules approach, wasn't it, towards uh, an opponent that yeah. you're annoyed with. He, he, I think it was a product of that little flick that he'd tried just a few moments before as well. I think Jeffrey Slup sort of felt he ain't doing that again. Um, one aspect of this that we, we, we should reflect on, actually, before we go back to talk about any, anything else about the game... Do you remember a few weeks ago when we were sort of talking up this title challenge thing and, you know, it, it didn't last very long. I think you described <laughs> it as nascent in a recent uh, article, Carl. City play Arsenal next week. United aren't out of this just yet, Andy, are they? No. I, I find myself looking at the Premier League table far more than is healthy. There's even... <laughs> I, 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 What's a healthy I, amount? Um, <laughs> once a week? Once a week. <laughs> yeah. I'm like Googling after every game. La- live Premier League table. I'm doing this now during matches just so I can see in my own eyes. Manchester United are now third. The other week, this. Carl, when he was at Old Trafford, he had a calculator and his phone out next to each other. I think he was calculating <laughs> the actual live league table. That's how unhealthy it's got. I've started um like really caring about how Newcastle United do. And like Same. Uh, my, my wife was at the weekend, you've got to take your daughter back to a friend's. Just wait a minute. I'm just, go on, West Ham. Go on, West Ham. <laughs> and getting really, really involved in it. And then uh, a, a pal of mine, Dean Olden, uh, had a win for Charlton at Exeter on Saturday. And he sent me a picture of him buying Charlton fans beers on the way home on the train. I thought, this is brilliant. This has given me an idea. I'm going to message David Moyes. I need a picture of you. <laughs> Buying West Ham fans beers on the train back to London because I'm absolutely buzzing off you for getting a point there. And then did he reply? No, I didn't message him. He wouldn't. Oh, right. No, I, I just thought, calm down, stop get carried away. <laughs> you've had a you've had a good day here. I will before the end of the season. I'll me- I'll message um, David Moyes, especially if they're not Manchester United out of the FA Cup. And then you're into Sunday and you've got Tottenham against City. You're like, obviously you want them both to lose, but that's impossible. So you're thinking, a nice draw would do well here. And then Harry Kane puts Spurs ahead, and you're like, yeah, okay, all right, I'm happy with this. And for the last five minutes, I'm going, wouldn't actually mind if Manchester City scored a goal here. But then I'm thinking, you can't think like this. You can't ever want City to, to score. But that's that's all it was. It was a great weekend for, for Manchester United. Hopefully Manchester United can beat Leads and leads and just carry on the winning streak and get over the little bump without Casimiro. Um, Christian Eriksen's a bit more than the bump. Hopefully Sabitzer settles in and Valt Vegos finds finds his way a little bit. It was a bit of a struggle. He was for really him. annoyed when he came off. You yeah, know? that that I really really noticeably annoyed, almost to the point of only semi sort of shaking Ten Hag's hand. He refused the coat from one of the coaches and had a bit of a strop, to be fair. I mean, for for someone who people have described as being lucky to be there and all this sort of stuff, he doesn't seem to be treating like that at all. Quite the opposite. I like that. Me too. I think Anthony Marshall wasn't in the squad because he 
had some sort of injury. Well, setback it was described as, so I'm presuming it's the same injury that's just reoccurred, yeah. Uh, and I looked, you know, before kickoff, I looked up when was the last time Anthony Martial played 90 minutes in the Premier League, and that was January 2021 in the 2-1 defeat against Sheffield United. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That was a particularly bad game for Martial. It was behind closed doors. I remember there was more than one occasion where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went movement and toe movement because he, he just didn't really seem to understand how to interpret attacking moves. Um, and that looked to be the end of his United career, of just he just can't play up front anymore. And to go from that, a healthy Martial, who's not starting games, but can't really play, to now where we're at, where Martial is not healthy, but would be massive improvement, is quite stark. I think Veghorst now probably understands he will be starting more games than not for Manchester United. So it's up to him now to start scoring some goals and doing more than just layoffs. Goal scorers like goals. That's what they feed off. And he's bound to be annoyed. He's, he's come off the pitch. Garnacho also looked very annoyed when he got substituted. Proper sort of pull your shirt it was up over your nose. Yeah. He was, that, that was a tactic. That, that's that's going to happen. He was the fall guy. I reckon Vegost, he's walked off the pitch. He's seen your face, Arian. I thought, <laughs> that's all I need. I'd have been just peering at him going, oh, he's not happy, actually. Oh, watch him. Look at, oh, he's refused the coat. Unbelievable. Shocking behaviour. <laughs> You're sometimes right near the bench, aren't you? And if I'm not at the match and I'm watching it on telly, I'll say to my wife, there's Ian. Yeah, I know you've told me 26 times. I know what he does. I know what his wife's called. I know what the kid's called. I know where he lives. All right, love. Just saying he's Ian off the telly. It's brilliant, though. That, that's been the best thing this season with the dugout switching round because you just get to sort of observe a lot more with obviously the dugout being next to our side than, than on the other side one last thing to reflect on wait um, a minute not letting you off on that do you ever speak to any of them on the bench no do you ever get any signals off it? nothing oh, you, at all you, you, you get the odd look or a wink or a nod or whatever but yeah nothing nothing or any significant Eric never leans across and says I'm just thinking of uh, taking Garnacho off just to steady things up with Maguire what do you reckon <laughs> um, but you hear like who they're thinking of ch- what the changes are you hear more than you could probably say, to be fair, sometimes. Um, it's more observing people's behaviour that I find fascinating, like what I'm talking about with Vegos coming off, because when he leaves the pitch, most people's focus just goes back onto the onto the pitch, doesn't it? You know, you look at the players who are there and what they're doing, but because it's right next to you, you sort of automatically gaze across and to see see what the vibe is when they sit down, who high-fives them, who doesn't, you know, are they smiling, are they unhappy, do they need ice? He came off really early as well, so there was an element of looking to see if he had some sort of niggle or so on, but no, it was just a, a tactical change. And actually, Garnacho and his movement was, was key in that second goal, wasn't it? It was a great what a goal. tactical substitution from Ten Hag. It was a brilliant goal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the all the hallmarks of Ten Hag football. So you, you overload one side really draw the attention round. You have really fast passing triangles. Um, the bit Garnacho had where he sort of dribbled along the length of the penalty area before shifting it to Luke Shaw was great. And then Shaw and Rashford, we know about their playing chemistry. So yeah, it's one of those goals that the final act looks like a tap-in, but to work into that area takes just structure and practice and confidence in each other that United can't score that goal last season. And the fact they did it and it looked fairly easy is really encouraging. And United are not scoring enough goals either. You know, 34, City above. I mean, City have scored 53, Arsenal have scored 45. I still sense that Manchester United need to wallop a side. I know it's it's been much better uh, post-Christmas and the main thing is that the wins are coming and third, well, 
We've always said in this podcast, fourth and a trophy. It's looking pretty decent right now. I've looked at the Premier League table twice during this podcast so far. Each time I look at it, little things jump out at me like, Newcastle United have only lost one game this season. They draw all the time. Do you look below the top six? I'll find something else for the next podcast. Do you look below the top six when you're always checking this? Or are you firmly just looking at the top six? I, I, I look I look right throughout. I'm a lover of football. If You could ask me now, any of the 92 clubs, and I'd have, I'd have a good idea how they're doing, what their average crowd were, and, and I could describe the ground to you. I would like to know how Sunderland doing, because I'm mad's there. Sunderland are doing very well under Tony Mowbray. They are getting incredibly good attendances. They had 42,000 a few weeks ago. And Mowbray has surprised people. He's pushing them up the table. Not as good as Michael Carrick, who, if I'm not mistaken, has got Middlesbrough up into third. Sunderland, formerly known as the Bank of England Club because they were the richest club in England back to the start of their history when they were a dominant team. Uh, Their best player, as you rightly mentioned, is Ahmad. I don't think that Sunderland will come up. I love the fact that Tony Mowbray is using lots of young players. And I know quite a lot about him because I know Tony Mowbray's agent. So there you go. Have you finished, Andy? No, sorry, mate. Chapeau. 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 What does that mean? Good. Well done. Yeah. Chapeau, Andy. Fantastic. I've just got to check I'm right, first of all. Champ- championship <laughs> table. If I see Sunderland in, in 17th, I'm going to have made a right idiot of myself. You're checking? Yeah, I am checking. Championship table. I mean, you've not looked at it for at least 10 oh, minutes. No. So. Oh, no. They're not in the top five. Yeah, yeah, I'm standing by that. Doing all right. Good, good. Very tight in the championship. Below um, Burnley and Sheffield United, who are coming up. Go from like Middlesbrough down to like... Hull in 12th and there's only 8 points there looks like Jesse March has just been sacked really are you joking it's filtering through I interviewed Pascal Stroke before I came on this podcast and I didn't even ask him about his manager's future that's looking an error now isn't it yeah I'll just check the Premier League table one more time yeah Leeds United are 17th yeah he's been sacked he's been sacked I hope there's not a new manager bounce here like Aston Villa had. Chris Armas is staying. Gosh, that would be revenge, wouldn't it, if he took control? Right, let's take a quick break. Um, before we heard the news about Jesse Marsh, I was going to point you in the direction of the Women's Football Podcast because Andy's obsession on league tables also stretches to the WSL these days and he will have seen that Manchester United's women's team dropped out of their joint top spot at the weekend after a draw and there's lots of discussion on that podcast that will drop later on on Monday night so keep your eyes peeled for that Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, the dynamic then of Manchester United against Leeds has twisted thanks to Carl Anker's breaking story that Jesse Marsh has been sacked as the manager of Leeds United. We're going to cross to our correspondent now, Mr Anker. Carl, what can you tell us? Well, it's it's a remarkable story. Uh, as reported by Phil Hay, Jesse Marsh leaves Leeds United with the club 17th in the Premier League. Rennie Marek, Cameron Toshek and Pierre Barriol also leave. Someone who is not leaving is former Manchester United coach uh, Chris Armas, who joined literally two weeks ago. He will remain in situ. We don't know who's going to be feeding him information to his AirPods at this point in time. Them were the days, weren't they? Um, I'm still flabbergasted by it. What dynamic do you think this is going to bring, Andy? I mean, Leeds, I've covered them a lot, actually, in recent weeks, and their performances at times have been pretty good, considering... The results that they've had, even yesterday against Nottingham Forest, I think they deserve more than a 1-0 defeat after that game. But it makes it a bit more complicated for United, does it? Facing them twice this week with a new manager in charge? I'd rather the manager not have lost his job just before the Manchester United game. This has happened quite a few times this season, actually, because Sheriff's manager got sacked a few days before the game at Old Trafford as well. We had Emery coming in for, for Villa. Lopetegui. Yeah. Mm -hmm. First home game, I think it was, in the Premier League for him when United played him. Yeah. Uh, Leeds United are all about staying in the Premier League this season. They they cannot afford to drop out of it. They've got 18 points, and so have Everton, who won at the weekend. They've also got 18 points. So I know someone who knows a lot of what's going on at Leeds, and I got told two or three weeks ago that it is not a happy club, that there is lots of division there, lots of people pulling in different directions and there isn't the unity that we are seeing at Manchester United. I have zero sympathy for Leeds United when it comes to this and hope they lose their next two games comprehensively. Quite, yes, absolutely. Um, we've seen the effect that a new manager can have just at the weekend though, Carl, with Sean Dyche's mastermind of a victory over Arsenal, who had only lost one game before that in the Premier League against Manchester United, of course. Um, it does... It does often get a bit more complicated, doesn't it, when there's a different boss? It, it can sort of change the whole feeling around a club heading into a fixture like this. Yeah, very much so. And you know, we saw the videos of Sean Dyche making those Everton players do the yo-yo test. Not Have you test. seen anything more glorious this season than the sight of Sean Dyche walking out onto the grass again in his brand new Copa Mundials to set his Premier League footballers into their yo-yo test. I mean, if that's not the most glorious sight this season that doesn't relate to Manchester United, I don't know what is. Andy often is on this podcast talking about how he'd much rather go to a certain football stadium than go to, and he always picks Bournemouth. Sorry, Bournemouth. Sorry, Bournemouth. And I will say that if the Premier League is now the league with all the money and can get in all the players, I think it's much better that not every team plays the same, right? So it's a lot better that you get someone in like Sean Dyche who wants to play a certain style of football with long passes and crunching tackles. And then the next week afterwards, you can play against Southampton who want to play high transitional football. And then the next week you play someone else. You know, Manchester United play Leeds twice now and they've got Leicester City. Those are two very different teams with two very different focuses on how you stop and attack those teams. And Ten Hag will relish that challenge. I think the home game... It's probably a bit too early to get new manager bounce. I mean, whoever comes in, whatever caretaker manager is going to do stuff, 
has less than 48 hours now to, to get a tune out of a, a team that, I mean, if you look at that lead squad now, um, they want to play a lot of counter-attacking football, which that should suit Manchester United down to the ground. They've got four or five. I mean, if I'm going to assume Casemiro and Fred playing central midfield. Against Leeds. Fred looked, yeah. Casemiro will have a job, won't he? So, sorry, if I assume Fred and Sabitzer are going to be in central midfield against Leeds on Wednesday, that should suit Fred in particular. I mean, if he was in those last 20 minutes where everything was going helter-skelter, Fred seemed to really relish the chaos. Um, and if Leeds keep playing that chaotic football, Fred should be all right. It's the game on the weekend that I think any potential new manager bounce could happen. Yeah, especially with that home crowd as well, because the rivalry, Andy, between these two is as good as it gets. Oh, you got a message of you? Yeah, it's from someone uh, who may or may not be linked to Manchester United, and he sent me uh, a tweet here from a Leeds journalist saying that it appears Chris Armos and Ewan Sharp will remain at Ellen Road, and the person has put football A. We're just going to miss Ralph Rangnick coming back for these two games as a special guest. So there's obviously a strong Manchester United former employees contingent at Ellen Road. It's a shame that Ralph Rangnick's in charge of Austria, otherwise he may have had a chance of coming in as a caretaker with with that lineup. Imagine. <laughs> yeah. But on the rivalry, um, I'm, I'm writing about this for The Athletic and it used to be vicious, dangerous and... I still think uh, it, it, it is a big deal. Uh, but because Leeds have been so poor since they've come back up, I don't think it's fired up yet, if that makes sense. So Leeds had a really good team at the start of the 90s. And even under David O'Leary, and I can remember watching Harry Kuehl for them thinking, you're a cracking player, you. They had some very, very good young players and they got a bit carried away with everything. But Manchester United have been pretty comfortable with them. I think United's record against Leeds United is better than any other club since they they came back up. But I'm still looking forward to a game under lights. At, well, they're all under lights at the moment, aren't they? Because they all kick off at, at eight, 8 o'clock <laughs> against Leeds United. They're, they're still a massive club. And you touched on the atmosphere against Palace at the weekend. It should be really good against Leeds as well. It'll definitely be good at Ellen Road. Most Leeds fans absolutely despise Manchester United and I feel bad for singling Bournemouth out a few times I'm glad Carl's reminded me of that because a couple of Bournemouth fans have actually pulled me up <laughs> in recent years and went what's wrong with us rightly so as well leave them alone yeah. Andy well yeah all right I, I respect the Bournemouth fans who were going when you were getting four and a half thousand I take your point I know it's a nice place but Leeds United are a proper big one city club love Manchester United playing Leeds United can't wait for these two games, but I'm a li- I'm I'm ten percent nervous now because they've just changed the manager. I'll be honest, ten percent more nervous. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I I love the real um, hatred. I think there's there's only that word for it, and I don't use that much when it comes to football because I think these think these type of things are often built up way beyond the reality. But Leeds hate Manchester United. Leeds fans hate Manchester United. I remember going there when Leeds first came back up and speaking to some of the fans and it was obviously back then it was um, lockdown and you, the, the crowd wasn't allowed in and we were doing Vox Pop interviews at two metre distances and all this sort of stuff. But the stories about that people being banned from having red cars, not even like they wouldn't eat ketchup 
because it was red and they wouldn't put any of that filth on the food and like it, it is literally entrenched in their everyday lives the hatred for Manchester United it's brilliant oh yeah so I I was at Ellen Road for the nil nil yeah so you, you know you had, Me too. You, had, you, had, you, you had your big you had your big six two thumping and the nil nil and again it was behind closed doors and COVID restrictions meant you're only supposed to have a certain figure but Leeds' owners basically had, I'd say, you know, around about 200 people dotted about Ellen Road for that, that, ga- was, yeah. that game as well. There was loads of fans outside. We'd gone sort of 12 months of not having fans inside the stadium and by proxy then there was no fans outside. But that day there was loads of fans milling around with scarves on and flags and shirts and singing songs and stuff, all at distances and whatever else. But It sounded like a non-league game. Yeah. In the nicest way, of that sort of non-league, yeah, yeah. close to a thousand people all yelling. And it was just Leeds fans just yelling how much they hate Man United. Um Yeah, it'll be it'll be a good it'll be a good two two matches. I'm gl- I'm, gl- I'm glad it's a nice little double header. The, the as feeling well. has been mutual as well though. I can remember songs like Who's the Champions Now? Scum! Who's the Champions Now? <laughs> and that was directed at at Leeds United. I think one year it might have been ninety four. Uh, we had a a win there, which all but sealed the the title. But just going there is such a visceral experience as an away fan, and you walk underneath that that motorway bridge underneath the six two one. I was frightened as a kid, honestly. You'd be walking there and you'd have a half a police escort, but you could see the locals looking at you, thinking, "We want to attack you." <laughs> and if you weren't with the hooligans who wanted to fight, then you were susceptible to being attacked and then Aurora go up YRA we're the Yorkshire Republican Army we're balmy and amplified as you walked underneath the motorway oh it was pretty scary Ellen Road and I remember going back just before they came up and thinking this has really lost its its Premier League sheen it's a real throwback this is what football grounds were like 20 or, or 30 years ago I, I like the enmity. I like the edge. Obviously, don't like the violence. I think that has calmed down an awful lot um, since when it was pretty bad in the 90s. And even, I think, in 2000, 2001, there was considerable trouble between fans of both clubs. And actually, even in August 2021, there were a couple of incidents in Manchester City Centre, but the police are so onto it with <coughs> CCTV everywhere that you're not seeing the widespread violence of the 70s. What I think is interesting about it as well is that there's an historical thing about the War of the Roses, which people listening to this may or may not know about, but essentially it was a civil war fought something like 500 years ago uh, between the House of York and the House of Lancaster for the English throne and some of the bloodiest battles in in English history of of literally tens of thousands of people dying in, in battles for the throne between, like I say, the House of, of York and the White Rose and the House of Lancaster and the Red Rose. Manchester United in red, Leeds United in red. If you fast forward a bit, the Industrial Revolution, which took place probably about 300 years after that, there was a lot of a sort of political fighting between the two cities as to who was the the biggest player in the cotton trades and in other trades of the time as well. And then football really, Andy, is the modern manifestation of this. And there's been some real flashpoints down the years. You mentioned that it's probably not as as vociferous as it, as it once was, but you know the the FA Cup semi final in the 60s that was replayed that became known as the Battle of the the Battle of the Roses. Um, I wonder how they came up with that name. There was then obviously later on, um, which has been well written about actually, the fight between the two teams in the early 90s to 
to be the top dogs in the country. Leeds ended up winning that, but the two sides faced off three times in the space of a couple of weeks. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson at the time was quite suspicious about that, but that's maybe another story. Uh, but they were drawn together in the FA Cup, the League Cup, and they had a league title at the same time. And, and there is real sort of flashpoints over time between these two. I can understand it. If you were a Leeds fan and your best player is Gordon McQueen and he's sold to Manchester United against your wishes and your best player is Joe Jordan and he's sold to Manchester United against your wishes and your best player is Eric Cantona and he goes to Manchester United, I would absolutely despise Manchester United as well. <laughs> Don't forget Rio Ferdinand. Rio Ferdinand. Yeah. Alan, Alan Smith, I mean, yeah. he, he was yeah. like the embodiment of Leeds. I knew Manchester United fans who absolutely despised Alan Smith, even when he moved to Old Trafford, like, he's Leeds, I'm not, I'm not accepting him ever. And I think he, he did all right, actually, when he came to Old Trafford, Alan Smith. Two big northern, predominantly working class cities, they're 40 miles apart. They try to upgrade the trade link between the two, but they've been trying to do that for about 30 years. <laughs> I think Manchester has fared better than Leeds, but I think in the 90s, Leeds was actually in a, in a better place. It had a really good nightlife. I remember when they had uh, we're the first place in the north to have a Harvey Nichols. We're Leeds, which basically showed that <laughs> we are better than Manchester and Hull and Liverpool and Newcastle because we've now got a Harvey Nichols. And I think Leeds did well as a financial centre. I spoke to a historian years ago about the War of the Roses, just saying, you know, how can this apply to the modern-day Leeds-Manchester United rivalry? And this guy called George Herbert, he, he said, well, it doesn't really, it's a bit of a misnomer. And he basically picked apart the argument, which meant I'd never talk about the War of the Roses derby again. But I'm still going to, because... Yeah, I think don't let the facts get in the way of no, a good I'm not story, let the facts mate. You're playing red way. and you're playing white, there's a red rose and a white rose, yeah. Yorkshire and Lancashire, like, done. Yeah, they, 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 we produce cotton, they produce wool, and they got the ump because Manchester was, was doing better, and Manchester United have done better as a football team. They have a song about being champions of Europe, which would be fair if they'd ever been champions of Europe, but, but they've not, because they lost in Paris, and that still hurts them to this day. And then you get the nasty side, you know, over the years, the, the songs about Istanbul from Manchester United fans, where a couple of Leeds United fans lost their lives, about the Munich air disaster. It, can, it has been pretty unsavoury at times between uh, fans of, of, of both of the, the clubs. But I like Leeds being in the Premier League and I look forward to games between Leeds and Manchester United. And I miss them uh, when they went down. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to these two, group, two, two games. Uh, I also like doing this thing where Andy, because this is an international podcast and there are many people from around the world listening in, I would like you to explain what Harvey Nichols is. Harvey Nichols is a, a high-end clothes and food emporium coming out of that London place, which if you have a Harvey Nichols where you live, that is seen as a positive of, you know, oh, we've got Harvey Nichols, we've got designer goods. And I'll say one more thing about Leeds to their credit. When Manchester United played them, in Perth pre-season 2019, they took thousands to Perth. Not Perth, Scotland, Perth, Western Australia. And I went to see a concert there the night before the game, the streets, and the whole crowd was full of Leeds, like singing, Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. I'm thinking, we're in Perth here. They, they are a massive club, Leeds United. They're not as big as Manchester United, and, and I think a sensible Leeds fan would admit that, but they are a massive, massive football club. And at times in their history, they've been the best team in England by a good way. They've made massive marks in 
European football as well. And they did really well to earn that Dirty Leeds nickname because it still sticks all these years later. It certainly does, yeah. If you want to read more about the rivalry between Manchester United and Leeds United, Andy's piece will be up on The Athletic later on this week before that first match. I presume it will be before that first match. Yeah, I do. I've got to finish writing it first, but yeah, I hope so. Well, get on with that then, yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Shortly after we recorded the last podcast, news broke that the charges against Mason Greenwood had been dropped. The club have said that he will not return to training and will remain unavailable to the team while they carry out a full internal investigation. There is an explainer on this on The Athletic at the moment, which you can go and read if you haven't already. Uh, Eric Ten Hag spoke about it briefly in his press conference on Friday, but only to say that he couldn't really comment on the situation while the investigation was taking place. But it's very, very important goes without saying really Andy that United have to get this right yeah it's a it's a big big decision and hopefully the club will make the right one uh, it's a big talking point among supporters opinions are divided I we all heard the tape uh, as a father of two girls I heard the tape I thought the line towards the end of the Greater Manchester Police statement about it, where they said, we'd like to take the opportunity to reiterate Greater Manchester Police's commitment to investigate allegations of violence against women and girls and to support those affected, regardless of their circumstances, at this potentially difficult and troubling time, um, was uh, something that I took notice of. And, yeah, I don't see any easy outcome um, or any winners here. We don't know a time frame at the moment, Carl, for this investigation, but what's your reaction to what's been said and what's happened so far? Um, I think one of the most concerning aspects of the situation is the effect that this is likely to have on victims uh, and them feeling able to speak up and seek help. Um, I'd like to read out a statement from Farha Nazir, the Chief Executive of Women's Aid, at this point. She says, we know it takes incredible courage for a woman to report sexual and domestic abuse, which is why it's so crucial that they receive the right response when they make that first step. But they must be confident that they will be believed and that action will be taken on their behalf. Only one in five women report domestic abuse to the police, highlighting the severe lack of trust that women have. 
that they will be taken seriously by the police and the criminal justice system. A successful criminal justice system must both support traumatized survivors of abuse and hold perpetrators to account. We'll continue to push for evidence-led prosecutions, which reduce the need to rely on a victim's testimony. This is crucial because of the high number of domestic abuse cases that are dropped because the victim no longer feels able to support a prosecution, often due to the severe barriers and safety implications of taking an abuser to court. We as a society must work together to show women that they will be heard, believed and helped. Nothing should deter a woman from reporting sexual and domestic abuse. Last week, I donated a sum of money to Women's Aid and to the Pankhurst Trust in Manchester. Anyone listening to this podcast, I would advise you to do the same. How do you see this playing out, Andy? Manchester United have been quite decisive in big decisions and Richard Arnold has been quite decisive. There is no case the same as this. But I remember when the, the Paris attacks happened, Richard Arnold called a meeting in the middle of the night and said, security is a massive issue here. We're on to it. And this was at two, three o'clock in the morning and acted in a manner which I believe was correct and other football clubs then looked at, at Manchester United. Uh, I've been speaking to lots of different people, getting different perspectives, uh, getting quotes from different people. I don't know the answer. People said to me on Friday, what's happening? I said, I don't know. Oh, you must know. Why must I? I don't know. Because I don't think any decision uh, has yet been made. And I know that there are varying opinions. And as I said right at the start, I know how I felt when I heard that tape as a father of, 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 of two girls. And I don't know what, what is going to happen with this. I've seen um, comments saying that um, Mason Greenwood should play for Manchester United again. I've seen false quotes. I've seen people saying he should never play for the club again. I see a fan base which is completely split on it, where people in my own world are saying, can't wait to get him back. And other people are saying he should never play for this football club again. And there's a lot of emotion flying around as well. I think the statement caught the club by surprise. I don't think it was being expected. But again, I'll point you back to that penultimate line in the Greater Manchester Statement about how women should not feel afraid of coming forward. Andy mentioned it there, Carl, as well. There is a quote from Eric Ten Hag, which has been used in several sort of major news outlets, which is false, uh, which is made up. I mean, no matter what, it's very, very important that the reporting of this is completely accurate, isn't it? Yes, 100%. And again, we'll reiterate a quote going around that's been attributed to Eric Ten Hag is false. And please be aware of that. Uh, this is why we are taking extra caution in the way we're talking and how we're addressing the situation. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, don't forget that special podcast price of £1.99 a month for a year when you subscribe at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. We'll be back after the Leeds game on Wednesday, but thank you to Andy and Carl for being with us and thank you to you at home for listening as well. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Athletic.